Hello and welcome to episode four of the A to Z of Tech podcast. Today we're talking D for drones, also known as the slightly less snappy unmanned aerial vehicles. So in the studio today, we have Elaine White, who leads PwC's drones team here in the UK. And I also did another interview with Dr. Pippa Malmgren, who co-founded a drones company and has some really funny stories, um, one of which is all about avoiding um, a crocodile-invested lake with drones. So um, more on that one later. So Elaine, thank you so much for coming in today. I wondered whether we could just start with what do we mean when we say drone? What, what are the, all the technologies that we're, that we're covering with that word? So drones, I think about as something that operates in the air. But actually, other people out there in industry would consider it as being the expanse of all autonomous vehicles that operate from the sea all the way through into the air. But in terms of PwC and where our focus is right now, it's very much on the unmanned aerial vehicle, UAV, that operates in the air. And when you talk to the purists out there, they will say drone is a dirty word. And actually, UAV is the correct word for the actual flying air vehicle. But actually, where the real value is, is not just the platform itself, but you have to combine it with a sensor. And that sensor is where you get an unmanned air system, a UAS. And that's where you begin to see the value that can be delivered for our clients moving forward. So very much a UAS, UAV, or drone, whichever you care to say, that operates in the air is where we're focused on right now. And so how did you get into this field? So I spent 20 years in the Air Force and I was very aware of the advantages that an aerial view could present you in terms of operations out there on the battlefield. Taking this to business, taking air power to the broader sense of the commercial world is where I saw the advantage of advantages that drones can deliver for our clients moving forward. So it was making that association. There were already companies out there who were investing in being able to do that, take that aerial view out to commercial applications. But actually from within a PwC construct, this was where I started thinking, this is quite a complex area. We're operating in the air. We have a different regulator that we have to satisfy. And from that means our clients who want to be able to exploit this technology and more importantly, exploit the data that it collects, they will need to have some specialist advice on how to do that moving forward. So you're obviously bringing a fairly specific perspective given your background. What are some of the things that you most enjoy at the minute about working in a field that's so innovative and constantly changing as drones? Oh, good question. So um, I think it's all the different sources of information that you can go out there and search for and learn from as an organisation, because it is a nascent technology in terms of the total impact it could have on our society. Our economic study suggests that it could be as much as 42 billion by 2030. But actually identifying what needs to happen between now and then is the real challenge for us as a business to recognise. So being able to find those sources, those niches of capabilities out there is really um, stretches the imagination in many, many cases. And particular, of course, it's not just about the air vehicle. In fact, it's very little is about the platform itself. It's about the data and what you then do with the data. And that is a new area for me to look into. 
So a lot of people think, um, when they think of drones, it's something um, in the park that's doing some filming, some photography, maybe it's somebody shooting um, a new show. Blue Planet is an example that you talk about a lot, um, where drones were used. But what are some of those use cases that are a bit more you know, coming out of the woodwork that are, that are quite interesting at the moment? So when we look at how they get used commercially at this moment in time, there are the two most um, mature use cases would be surveying and inspection. Filming you've already touched on, I think it's, it's, it's uh, well established within that industry already. So if we take surveying and inspection, you can use a drone um, to take images of your capital project as it builds, as it develops over time, you can compare that progress against the uh, planned project plan and progress. You can use that source of data many times. So you can present it back on a platform that can be accessible by the planners, for example, who may be checking the progress from uh, a remote location, from the, the quality checkers of the actual suppliers, from uh, the building company, from the construction companies. All these different people can access one platform that has one version of the truth of the story on and that allows people to save considerable amount of time and money in that production time. So if you took um, the oil and gas sector they're already using drones for as an inspection tool and if you consider to shut down an oil and gas platform to inspect the stack it was it's sort of generally accepted that it costs about four million pounds a day to do that, lost uh, revenue. So if you can inspect that stack using a drone, then your cost avoidance can be quite significant. And that drone can give you powerful images, gives you great insight so that when you actually do shut the structure down to repair it, you know exactly what it is that you need to go out there and do. So oil and gas is another fabulous example of where drones are being used right now. So those are use cases that sound particularly commercially driven. When we look at the wider public discourse around drones, there's been a few headlines recently um, around how they're being used in public spaces. How do we engage to show the positive sides of drones that are more consumer rather than commercial related? So there's a very interesting uh, project that was run through Nesta called the Flying High Challenge. And it identified five cities across the country to look at good use cases within those cities. And it was the cities that came up with those good use cases. So the community themselves identified where it is they'd like to exploit this technology moving forward. And that highlighted, I think, to a number of different areas where it is they could use drones in a, a positive use case, a tech for good opportunity. Looking forward, there is an aspiration there'll be another phase of that project. And there is an expectation that it will use um, an emergency services uh, test case, a uh, transport of goods, one but likely to be uh, medical products transport, as well as an infrastructure one. So if we take the emergency services example, there are many emergency services who are currently using drone technology and using them very effectively across the country. So police, fire, and uh, search and rescue at sea, for example. And I think we're beginning to hear more and more about how this tool, and it is a tool in that example, how this tool of a drone is being used. And those good news stories are beginning to surface. And 
that is what we need to happen to effectively change public opinion or at least grow societal acceptance that this is a technology that can be used for the greater good of society. So you talked earlier about um, kind of the need to build that consumer trust in order to reach those big figures, you know, adding 42 billion to the UK economy. Is there anything else that we really need to do? Does, um, do we need new regulations? Do we, you know, is, what sort of things would you suggest? So I tend to summarise it into three points. You're right, societal acceptance, I think, is perhaps the biggest challenge. Um, the other one is technology advancement. I think that will happen. I think there's considerable investment being made into what that technology will look like moving forward. Um, so this is how um, potentially they do uh, collision avoidance with other assets flying in the air. What does that technology uh, look like? The robustness for the safety case, the redundancy that's built into that platform. Um, so that technology, battery life, etc., that, that will advance. The third thing is regulation expansion. And actually, when it comes to emerging technology, drones are fortunate that there is already a regulator in place. You compare a lot of conversation which taken place over the last few months about how our personal data is being used. Is this something we want to regulate? We don't quite know because we don't quite know what that looks like and what good looks like moving forward. Well, actually in the space of the air, there is a regulator and that helps to build that important societal trust moving forward. But that regulation, to, in order to allow the full exploitation of the 42 billion uh, economy that this could create, they need to expand. Um, and I perhaps think of beyond visual line of sight, BV loss. So at this moment in time, the regulation restricts you. So you have to be able to physically see that drone that you're operating and you, the operator is in control all the time. You can foresee a position in years to come where the drone is operating automatically, coming out of its box, flying down uh, the rail track, taking images, passing them back to uh, or passing back those images that there is a concern of so actually doing edge processing on the drone passing them back to some control center who then determines whether there is a need to send somebody out an engineer out to go and rectify a potential fault of the future so that that you can see needs regulatory expansion um, to happen and we still need to come keep ourselves compatible to what's going on in the global market as well and that's a really important facet of that regulation. It's, it's complex and it isn't something to be solved overnight. Um, one thing that I'm interested in is you've mentioned um, that obviously drones are unmanned and there's a pilot or an operator who's on the ground. Do we already see autonomous drones or is that something that you might anticipate seeing in the future? That's something for the future. Mm. I think the technology is being advanced in that area. That's where you're going to see the level of productivity savings we would hope to achieve. So we predicted by 2030 there would be 16 billion of productivity savings across the UK. That will only be achieved when you are beginning to get the full autonomous vehicles flying in the air and with, without having to have a person, one-to-one -one person, so maybe a one-to-many drones. And what kind of skill sets do you typically see people having who are working in the drone space? I know, taking it back to cyber, we would normally anticipate that people have a STEM background, although I think that's definitely a, um, a stereotype that's 
that's being changed. Is that similar in the drone space as well? Very definitely. Wide and varied is what I would say on the skills that you need. So you have those people who are operating and flying the drone who need a degree of airmanship and they have to be qualified to fly them commercially and they will go through a degree of rigour and training and ongoing training to be able to qualify for that. But then you've got the important aspect of the data. What do you actually do with that data? So you're moving much more into that data analytics aspect and machine learning and hopefully into artificial intelligence if you're beginning to map enough data into that. But what's really important here is how do you take that data as it stands today and make it applicable to a business? It's not just the technology in isolation. You have to have that business understanding to be able to combine that with the human insight to be able to gain the what does this really mean for my business? So if I reflect on the skill sets that I have within our drones team, I have someone who's been out there, done that, done lots of drone flying, captured lots of images, understands how to run a drone operation. I have people who have done uh, data analytics and uh, set the targets for machine learning and understand what the future may hold if, as we advance on the machine learning side of it. But importantly, I have people with what I would regard as classic PwC, PwC skill sets. So from an assurance background, for a PMO background, uh, program management, um, who consulting background potentially, who are able to make sense of what comes out of the data analysis so that it has true meaning for the client when it gets integrated back into their business. So a full sweep. And actually, I think it really dis sort of blows apart some of the myths of you need to come from a STEM background to work in tech. I would argue you just need to be curious and that curiosity will see you grow the skills that you need to be able to effectively deliver support within the tech environment. So how long do you think it's going to be before we see hundreds of these things <laughs> flying around our heads um, every day, I don't know, up and down the Thames? Um, how long do you think that's going to take? Up and down the Thames is a really good example to use. So if we look at the roads around London right now, they are absolutely jam-packed, traffic is slow, we're approaching rush hour, you, you, it will take you a good while to get across town or to get anything across town. But then we look at the sky, and we look at the sky above the rail networks, we look at the sky above the Thames, and other benign, relatively benign areas, and it's empty. And you would say, isn't that a space that could be used that takes something off that road that actually makes passage on land easier for the rest of us? So when, I guess your question, when are we likely to see that? Well, we're some way off. And what, what is it in that example? You would probably say uh, transport of goods. You could foresee a time when there is a hub that comes in down the Thames and therefore you're landing those goods straight into central London without having to um, drive them on, on the ground. Um, perhaps in the far future, we may be fortunate enough to see passenger carrying drones to ease the commute for us all. But that sounds ideal. Yeah, it does sound ideal, doesn't it? And there's certainly lots of companies making lots of noise about their investment in this area. How that pans out and what that looks like, we are some time away from that. So commuter drones aside, are there any particular drone technologies or drone use cases that you personally would be quite excited to see come to fruition? In the UK market? Yeah. So I think I would think a little differently from the drone itself and think more about the systems of systems that supports the operation of drones. 
So before you can have this vision of a future where they are flying over the Thames and over the rail networks and perhaps down the motorways, you would need to have a system that allows all of those to operate around each other safely and so that there is awareness of where they all are and somebody would need to, or something rather, uh, will need to hold that information and be monitoring and be confident of, of that system operating in a safe way. So uh, unified traffic management is one of the phrases that's used for it, UTM. Um, also UAV traffic management is also being uh, UTM as well. But I think for me, what I'd really like to see is that system of system in place that will support the future growth and development of them operating in that lower airspace. Elena, it's such an interesting topic. Thank you so much for coming in to chat to us today. Where can people find you on, on social media? Um, you can find me on at Elaine White 100, the 100 representing uh, last year's RAF 100, celebrating 100 years of the Royal Air Force. So yes, uh, at Elaine White 100 or on LinkedIn, Elaine White. Great, thank you. So next, I'm joined by Dr. Pippa Malmgren, one of the co-founders of drones company H Robotics. Yes. So drones, super hot topic right now. Uh -huh. We've just yes. done some research at PwC about it, actually, about mm. how much drones could add to the UK economy. This is such an exciting new emerging technology. What sort of drove you to, to oh, go into this area? It's quite incredible, this space. Well, it's such an interesting story. One of my clients and I got together to create this company. Um, he had been a trader, but also grew up in a construction family, so he knew how to build stuff. And he'd been coding since he was about 12. So uh, he had an idea for replacing helicopters with something that was much smaller and more agile, uh, far less expensive. And I had a view that, there, that this was gonna explode as an area of demand. Anyway, we decided to really look at the market. And what we saw is that fundamentally, most everything is a toy. It was designed for a retail consumer. And even the things that are described as industrial are really souped up toys. So for example, most of them can't handle any wind and they're not waterproof. So if it rains, you're up the creek, you'll never see it again. So we thought, let's build kind of the equivalent of a Land Rover. Because for that's sky. what, for the sky, Love because it. you know, it's, it's a truck. It's an interesting moment because if you were to say, I like cars, and what you mean by that is a go-kart, a Ford, a Ferrari, and a Land Rover, people talk about, I like drones. Yeah, but drones, what do you mean by that? So most of them are something between a go-kart and a Fiat, and, and we make a truck, Land Rover. Um, and also we thought, uh, look, the market is spending billions innovating new devices, new cameras, new sensors. We have no idea which ones the clients want to use. So instead of putting all of those on the inside, which is what everybody else does, we said, let's create a physical platform that's stable in the sky and really terrible weather. And we, we test it in British weather. <laughs> if there's a storm, we're out standing in the middle of it, making sure that it does well. Anyway, make it so you can attach anything you want. And this way, people, the customer can stay current with the coolest okay. new devices and then have all the data go to a stable platform in the cloud. So you've got a stable platform in the sky and a stable platform in the cloud. And now make it possible to do all the analytics on a mobile device so that you can have, for example, a board of directors in London 
can see their assets on the other side of the world and then say, well, I want to see the photogrammetry or I want to see the volumetric analysis and all they have to do is click on their phone. So that's what we've built. And some of the biggest use cases for these kind of tough drones are the, the mines and the oil yeah. refineries that you can't access otherwise. Are there any other kind of use case sectors that you're... Oh, there's so many. Insurance is going to be absolutely massive. Uh, public safety, absolutely massive. But I'll give you an example. The mining is fascinating because that's where we started was African mines. And um, initially they bought it for security because people are trying to steal from the mine in the middle of the night, usually young people. So we fitted it out with very bright lights and that worked nicely. But they weren't gathering any data. Then they said to us, the way we value the mine is we send a guy out with a measuring tape once a quarter, I swear, and that guy measures the size of the pile of dirt they've pulled out of the pit because it's always proportional to whatever it's gold or emeralds or diamonds. And we said, well, you know, you could fly the thing you already own over the top and you'll have a clear understanding within 10 minutes, like a precise, and they said, are you kidding? This totally changes our, you mean we can value it like once a week? We said you can do it every day if you want to. Anyway, game changer for them. And then that led to another conversation, which is the most fascinating one, crocodiles. So it turns out every mine in the world uses very toxic fluid to blast through the rock. And that fluid runoff has to go somewhere. So they all have a tailings dam, they call it. They are so awful, you don't want to go anywhere near them. But you're supposed to know what's the volume. And they tried putting a boat on it, but of course the toxic fluid eats through the hull of the boat. So nobody wants to go on the leaky boat on the toxic lake. <laughs> but then I also had crocodiles in the toxic lake that trashed the leaky boat. So we were like, ah, oh, we get it. So we made a device that's a sonar that hangs from the drone, it drags along the surface, and now they know not only the volume, but the shape of the basin, which is very important because sometimes the liners come unstuck. So now, far less environmental damage. And no one gets eaten by crocodiles. Nobody gets eaten by crocodiles. And we're like, this is what drones are for. That's a win. <laughs> That's a win. <laughs> you, um, you touched earlier on um, the public safety kind of aspect yeah. of drones. I think that's a really interesting one, the kind of drones for social good. Um, and that's probably one of the use cases that's going to get people more comfortable with using this kind of technology. Do you think there's a kind of consumer trust gap with this technology at the moment? Is that uh, yeah. what's preventing takeoff? I, uh -huh. Well, <laughs> I do think there's a trust gap. I also think there are two profoundly different categories. One is the retail consumer who flies them around kind of at whim. People are very nervous about that. Then there's the industrial side where it's companies typically deploying them on their own properties or for specific tasks. People are much more comfortable with that. One area I think is massive is search and rescue. And um, in fact, I was with the drone team uh, at PwC for their wonderful big day with the Royal Air Force. And um, uh, you know, Elaine White, if I can mention her name because she's just so fantastic Love running her. your drone team. Anyway, uh, I went over and talked to the Royal Air Force search and rescue guys because they had the big fire engine and they were sitting there and I'm like, hello, I have a drone company, can I chat to you? And one of, I said, are you using drones? And the guy said, oh, one of the guys on the team has a toy and we use that every once in a while. Like they literally have not started in search and rescue. So when they're looking for someone who's lost on a foggy mountainside, you know, what you can do with a drone is it can track the kind of chips that are now ubiquitous in hiking boots or a phone on the person emits a signal and you can get it to track that. Now you don't have to go looking everywhere, you can find them. And the drone can go with voice delivery to say, 
We know where you are. Help is on the way. So I think search and rescue is a massive area. But again, you need drones that can handle really bad weather, and so few of them can. Pippa, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. And can we find you on Twitter? Yes, I'm on uh, at Dr. Pippa M. I would have been just uh, Pippa M, but you get um, Pippa Middleton's rear end, you know. So I had to put the doctor in front of it. I'm like, well, it's, you know. Anyway. (laughs) Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. So we had a couple of great guests on this episode. Loved that it was all women in tech. Absolutely, some great representation going on there. And we would love it if you could join us for our next episode, which will be E for Ethics. So you can find us on Twitter. In the meantime, I'm at Felicity Main. And I'm at Lou Tag Tech. And we'll see you next time.